Welcome to 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. We'll be starting today, chapter 12, in the 31st verse. It is a dark and tragic night in the land of Egypt. We are not told exactly how long it has taken to get to this point. We are not told the space of time between one plague and another. The indication is that it's very quick, although we know that in other parts of the Bible, Days, weeks, even months or years can elapse between one verse and another. My personal belief is that it is not longer than a few days in between each plague because there is a building, a pressure, a tension. And finally, it comes to the place where Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and the people of Egypt with him will not submit to God. They will not let God's people go from their slavery. So God kills every firstborn. The firstborn son of the greatest in the kingdom, Pharaoh, who sits on the throne. The firstborn son of the lowest in the kingdom. The firstborn son of the ox. The firstborn son of the sheep. The firstborn son of all creatures. But the children of Israel, those who had the blood of the Passover lamb on the door, those who had been faithful to God and eaten the Passover meal, were spared. Verse 31 says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. This might seem like an odd thing to say at the end, but Pharaoh would have been under the belief that he was cursed by Moses. And so he's asking for a blessing to counter the curse he believes he is under. Verse 33 says the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. At the very beginning, God said, let my people go. And if they had just listened then, none of the pain, suffering, heartache, tragedy they have experienced would have happened. Now, I have talked to people who have had incredible stories of what it has took, the great lengths it has taken for God to free them from their bondage. And they said, I wish I had followed Jesus sooner. I've never met somebody who became a Christian who said, you know what, I'm glad that I wasted the first 20 years or the first 40 years of my life. I've never met somebody who had said, you know, I I wish that I had spent a little longer sinning. 
to a person, I wish I had followed Jesus earlier. This is what it took for them to submit to God. This is what it took for them to do what God wanted. And I pray that for you and for me, that there would be a far quick, uh, quicker uh, response, a, a far quicker submission. So the people urged the Israelites to leave. This is why God told his people to be ready. I do not believe that the people could have imagined it. If you have been enslaved your whole life, there was not a single person in the people of Israel who had known freedom. They had been born into slavery. The, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, had been in Egypt for about 400 years, and for at least 180 to 200 years of that time, they were enslaved. Every person then alive had only known life in captivity. Could they have imagined how quickly things would have changed? I bet some of them felt very foolish as they sat there in their traveling clothes with their sandals on, ready to leave. Well, maybe God will deliver us, but then we'll have to pack and, you know, it'll take some time and we'll have to get organized. But they're being pushed out. When God's work comes, it can come like that. And it may be you feel foolish waiting on God's work in your life. You know that there is something that God wants to do, and it doesn't look from the outside circumstances like it could ever happen, and you have no idea how quickly God can work. Verse 34, so the people took the dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. So this dough that they had prepared, this traveling bread, that God had already prepared them to move out. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they had given them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. So what's going on here is that previously, God had told Moses, Moses, you tell the people that they are to ask for silver, for gold, and for supplies from their captors. That they have been enslaved for 400 years, and now it is time for payment, for reparation. It would be hard for me to speak about this without addressing the concept of reparation in America. There are those, the descendants of slaves, who say when slavery ended, the Union Army promised every freed slave a mule and an acre of land. This was a reparation. This was a seed money. This was an investment. You can begin your life in freedom. We are going to give you land from the plantations that you once were enslaved on. You will now own land and you will have a mule. You will have the means to develop resources, which is what a mule would be in an agrarian society. And I've talked to many friends in the black community who have said, we're still waiting for our mule and our acre. The idea of reparations, if you are a Christian and you seek to live according to the Bible, then the idea of reparations has a biblical basis. It may not have a basis in your politics, but it has a basis in the Bible. Personally, I 
am fine with the conceptual idea of reparations. I question whether it could ever be carried out fairly or equitably, or if there is another way to make right certain systems that have been in place. But I can't find a biblical reason to be against it as a Christian. And if we say we want to vote our values, if we say we want to operate politically as Christians according to the Bible, the idea of reparations is in the Bible. Am I making a political statement? No. Um, I'm just saying there is a biblical basis for the concept, and I think how we carry it out is a whole other thing that I will stay out of. Now, what's going on here is that God has told the people ahead of time, you are going to go and ask you, can you imagine that? Can you go imagine asking you, you're being forced out, but on your way out, you're going to say, hey, I want your silver. I want your gold. What I imagine is something like this. The Egyptians came and said, you need to leave now. And they said, well, how can we leave? We have no provision. You must give us gold and silver and provision so that we can make this journey. And the Egyptians who have gotten rich off of the slave labor of the, Egypt, of the Israelites oblige. And so God plunders the Egyptians for his people. I have found that when God tells me something, it's for a reason. I bet some of them felt very foolish when they heard that, that command from Moses, but God knew, knew what he was doing. I have also found that God will be my defense and my provider. That in the workplace, there might be times where you feel called upon to defend yourself. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to stand for my rights. I knew of a man, godly Christian man, who was falsely accused at work for gross misconduct. And he knew that he could get a lawyer and win a case and keep his job. But he prayed and he asked God what I should do. And he felt very clearly that God said, do not fight this battle. And he wanted, he had the name of the lawyer. He had the number. He was ready to call. But God said, do not defend yourself. I will defend you. So in faith, in faith, he didn't call his lawyer. And within a week, not only was he cleared of the accusations, but he was cleared in a way that there was no question. The person who had made the accusations had been found out to be a liar. There had been all kinds of other things going on. He wasn't just able to keep his job, but there was no hint or suspicion. There was no 10 or 20 years later where people said, well, you know, that guy, he's a crook and, oh, he's a shady dude. You know, he's only here because of a technicality because he got a lawyer. Now, I'm not saying for your situation, I don't know what's going on. This is something that the Lord told him and he felt secure in doing because the Lord had told him. But the point I'm making is that God will be our defender and God will be our provider. And maybe instead of being so concerned about standing up for our rights, we should think how can we submit and give up our rights the way that Jesus did so as to serve others. Just got to keep praying. How do I know what to do? Which way to go? I learn the voice of my Lord. And you can too. Verse 37 says the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. 
and they were about 600,000 men on foot, besides the women and children. Now, when it says men on foot, this would have been um, battle-aged men. It wouldn't have included the older men who would have been um, held back and not expected to fight. Uh, there are those who think there were about a million to two and a half million people, depending on the estimate you read, that left Egypt. There were 75 or so who came into Egypt. About one to two million left when they, when they exited. Verse 39, with the dough the Israelites had brought up from, the, uh, from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. So God had given them this plan, and God knew that, you know what, you're not going to have time to get a lot of provisions together. So he pre- they were prepared with traveling food. Verse 40, the length of the time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was about 430 years. At the end of 430 years, to the very day, all of the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord had kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. And on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil in honor to honor the Lord for the generations to come. So what this is saying is one of the traditions with the Passover is an all night vigil. Uh, The idea is that the Lord was at work all night in their deliverance. And so for one night a year, they stayed up or at least someone in the house was expected to stay up as a vigil to honor the Lord. Some Christians uh, have this tradition, they pray in the new year. I've done that once. I've prayed in the new year. It is very somber. It's very stiff upper lip. Um, It's not a biblical command. And I I personally uh, prefer a fun time doing a new year's countdown with my kids. Um, as opposed to a very somber and not fun experience. If there was a biblical command, I would do it. Since there's not, I don't feel the obligation to do it, but I don't begrudge anyone who does. Verse 43, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave that you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised them, but a temporary resident or hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No one uncircumcised may eat it. The same law applies to both the native-born and the foreigners residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day that the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Slavery is a concept that it is hard for us to deal with. We have a very hard time filtering slavery outside of the American experience. The American experience of slavery was one based off of imperialism because slavery was not instituted by America. It was instituted by the British Empire, by the Spanish Empire, by the French Empire. It was one instituted by imperialism and, I can talk, colonialization. 
but it was one that we did not get rid of quickly. And that racism, that bigotry, that hate, that disdain for God's image bearers, that degradation of humanity, it is hard for us to see past that. Slavery in this context, at times, it is hard to distinguish between what we would think of as an employee and what the Bible refers to as a slave. At the same time, I also feel like there is a tendency among especially Western white Christians to minimize slavery in the Bible, to say that, well, it was, they were, when they say slave, they really mean employer. I do believe that many of the verses in the New Testament that deals with how slaves and masters should interact has a bearing or has a model or a principle for us as employers and employees. But let's not pretend it's not what it was. Does the Bible have a problem with slavery? Yes and no. Jesus in speaking to the religious leaders about divorce, they said, well, divorce is permitted in the law. And Jesus said it was permitted because of the hardness of your heart. I suspect the same is true for slavery. That there are laws in the Old Testament, the laws for the people of Israel, that were put in place. These laws were there not because it was God's intention, but because God said, this is what they're going to do anyway. So I'm going to put laws of protection in. I believe that is the case with divorce. I believe that is the case with the laws concerning slavery. Many have noted that the Old Testament laws concerning slavery all lead to good treatment and to an eventual end of slavery. In fact, you couldn't have a slave past what was called the year of Jubilee. There was a year every 50 years where slaves were freed no matter what. Slavery was not to be a lifelong, multi-generational situation. In America, we might, not no long, we, might, we might no longer have slavery, but we do have economic slavery. There are people who cannot get out of an economic situation. I suspect some of that is more like what we read about in, say, King David's time. But let's not pretend there wasn't slaves. If you conquered an, a, a city-state, you took the people as servants. That wasn't what God ordained. It was just what they did. Some of the Bible is prescriptive. Hey, do this. Some of the Bible is descriptive. Hey, this is what happened. What God is saying here about the Passover feast is not a minimizing of the value of a slave or a servant or a foreigner living among them. What God is saying is this is the most sacred one of the most sacred things you can do in your entire religious life, and there is a limit to who can participate. We don't let just anyone be in leadership at our church. We shouldn't let just anyone be a volunteer with our kids' church. We don't let just anyone teach the Bible, although I would love to see more people in our church teaching the Bible on Sunday mornings, in this podcast, whatever. But there is a sense in which the church's doors are open to everyone. But there are things that are limited to those who truly are in the family, those who have professed faith. 
what he's saying is, hey, there's a way. If you were a foreigner and you wanted to become part of the people of Israel, there is a way in. But you don't get to have the benefits of being part of the family until you've joined. I think the question might be, it's not a question of whether you're welcomed at Faith on Hill. It's a question of, do you have access to the full benefits of being part of the family of God? Have you fully given yourself to Jesus, or are you trying to be part of a community to which you are welcomed, but which you don't truly belong? I pray that everyone would give their hearts to Jesus and become part of God's family and join us in serving Jesus on his mission at Faith on Hill Church, at every church. This has been another episode of 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can follow us on social media, at Faith on Hill, on all social media. Our website is faithonhill.com. You can email me. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. My email is adam at faithonhill.com. We'll see you next week as we continue the story of the Exodus on the 20-Minute Bible Study Podcast.